Mama Fina burritos. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! So we're gonna have we're gonna do a field trip down to Ben's place. I keep telling him we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna do at least one uh, field day at my place this summer, and we everyone we want everyone there. Unless you're a dick, then don't come. <laughs> but actually, most of our friends are. So yeah, yeah you fit right in. Um, we're going to do a field day at my place. We're going to go and look at test trial stuff. We're going to do root digs. We're going to look at products. One thing I want to do is, uh, so one of our goals with singular is to, I mean, we're farmers helping farmers. You guys are going to get sick of me saying that, but I want to build a shuttle of starter or foliar. I mean, it's virtually the same thing right there in front of all the guys. I want to add in our, We'll get Brad down. Yeah. Say a seven, <clears throat> sixteen, five, or whatever. You know, of say a foliar or let's just say our starter, our six twenty four six. We'll add our kelp. Actually it's dr- uh Dale dry, the uh, adjuvants, uh Dale. liquids Liquid. and emulsifiers. Mm-hmm. You know, in what order? And so we can ship people, we can ship all you guys the separate goods and you mix it there, you get the freshest batch mm-hmm. it's not hard um and basically just show guys hey here dump this dump that send it and away you go yeah the fresher it is so a lot of people don't think about this there's certain things not everything obviously but there are a few things out there that the longer they sit together you can have reactions you can have biology go after it um humic is a very big one in that it can actually rot in a liquid uh, fulvic, not necessarily the case because it's, well, the one we store for long periods is more neutralized, but we're using it for a molecule, not for, we're not trying to feed the bi- a biology with it. And so that's, that's why we do that. But, um, uh, so yeah, the fresher you can mo- do that, obviously if you're putting biology in like actual live biology, you got to watch that stuff. Yeah. So it can't sit in that That's tank. That's why when Pivot Bio people tell you don't you only it, got yeah. like 12 hours to mm-hmm. get it in the ground or something like that. It will eat that tank. It'll go after the fulvic. It'll go after sugars. It'll go after humix. It'll go after these things and consume it and essentially ferment your tank into a bunch of alcohol. I've done it. I know. Yep. Stuck my head in a tank and only had about 10 died. gallons in there. Yeah, about knocked me off the tank. Yeah. Um, I was going to say... I completely Mama Fina's burritos. Anyway, we're gonna right. do a field. We're gonna do a field day. That's my goal. At my place, we're gonna look at a couple different crops. Um, we've got cover crops, no cover crops, uh, various rates of different products. Uh, I mean, gosh, man, we got a lot of stuff all across state. Lots of trials, multiple states. Like guys, can see before, product. But... We're gonna have a meet. We're gonna have a lunch. Question Q and A. We're gonna walk the field. I mean, dude, we're just we're just farmers, just like everybody else. It's like, hey, this is what this costs. And one of the things I'm super excited about is all the product, any products that we source to guys, we're using it. We're mm-hmm. testing it. You can see the test. You can see it. You can get put your hands on it. Um, you yeah. Know. So we don't typically source a lot of like, so if a guy sends me a product list, I may only pick two or three out of that entire list a guy sends me and that's all I'm even going to offer. Right. It's all I like. It's all that it's priced right. 
it's all that I've found that works. It's all I'm mess with. Right. So there, yeah. And that's one thing that we're, you know, as farmers, I think that's one of the beneficial things we bring to the table is if you're going to spend $10 to get a $12 return, you know, say get your 10 back plus two bucks, we're okay. Let's just say, let's just say for kicks and giggles, everyone's using an operating line of credit this year. You know, interest is eight and a half percent. I actually just heard a guy sign for 10. I don't know. I'd, I'd... Say 9%. Right. 9%. Okay. So you spend that money up front. Say you spend that $10. And if it's 10%, you got to get a dollar just to pay your interest. Mm-hmm. So that's $11 you have to make to pay for the 10 and your interest. Guys don't think about the cost of interest in a higher interest rate environment. Uh, you know, is it actually a return on investment or are you just covering your, covering your, your costs, you know, your overall costs? Cause guys think about their crop costs. They don't think about the financials so much when crops are growing. Well, people focus on bushels. Yes. Although I talked to a lot of people that say they focus on input, you know, ROI, but that's, if you're focused on ROI, there's definitely things that I would say are very questionable in your operation as far as what you're putting into products wise. Um, what you're wasting time with, things like that. So your time is extremely valuable. When crop prices are high, your time is worth a lot. Yeah. And so don't screw around with it. Right. You can't buy more time. You you only have X amount and that's all you're ever going to get. And so what you do with that's all, all you're ever going to have. So what our job is, is to know your value. Yeah. Know your value. And we are sourcing products for guys that we know are going to work. It's not going to be a waste of your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's going through our Ben's pivots, our sprayers, our ground rigs, our strip till, our planters, side dress, all that stuff. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to go on a tangent about singular, but that's that's our, our mission. You behind do that this. way more than me. I know. You know that, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. Passionate about it. I just want to help guys. You know, we got a lot of starter moving out um, with our bio blend in it. That's exciting. We got guys that want foliar. Um, still getting blown with questions of, of humic and fulvic sugars. Yeah. So a little bit of um, a uh, tip here. Okay. If, if guys want to talk, if you could email us, that would save us a ton of uh, phone time. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the phone at least. I'll burn my phone battery out by about two o'clock. And I've got a pretty good phone. Yeah. And I'll be on that thing solid all morning. So leave me a message, shoot me texts. Well, we don't give my number out again. But shoot shoot me an email. Um, That's the best way that I can get back to you in a more efficient way. Ben's a better phone caller than a texter. Uh, We both do the best we can with emails. The nice thing with emails is that we can forward them to each other or our group, the singular team. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because different people on our team work in different environments and different applications, regions. Yep. regions. If, uh, if you're in a closer to another guy, it may be better to shift you um, to somebody else to help you a little bit more. Right. So right. Uh, we all bring <clears throat> aspects in there. There's definitely, you have your strengths. I have mine, Brad has his and so on and so forth. We all have our strengths and areas that we, indicator and and if you send me a question that i'm not going to know i'm going to send it to josh i'm going to send it to brad yeah. and that's going to get you the best answer 
Yeah. Like if I don't definitively know. We're not going to send you some BS fluffy muffin thing. Yeah. If I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to send it forward it to, to one of the other guys and we're yeah. going to get you the right answer. And then if we don't, then Dude, we're we know come back. A lot we'll get of people. Yeah. It, I, I'll bet there isn't anyone in the, in the ag industry that we can't contact through some, someone. It's, Ag is a big industry of people. There is a lot of workers, right? So there are a lot of farmers. But the guys in the front that are making all the noise is a tiny little baby group. So if, I don't know how many farmers are in the U.S. I think it's tens of thousands. Google it, and I'll keep talking. Okay. So there's all these farmers, and it tends to be, you know, maybe less than 500 total that are running the entire lead into this. And so you talk to somebody and, oh yeah, I know this guy. I know that guy. Well, we're all just all linked together. And so some of the big names. Two million, but that includes all vegetables, right. um, bigger gardens, produce. And produce. Else. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you, you nonetheless, there's a lot of people there. Yeah. But yeah, the, the big front end guys, there's not a ton of them. And everybody's linked. And that never seems to baffle me. I talked to somebody about something innovative and yeah, I know you're, I know Brad or I know Josh or I know, you know, one of the other guys I talk with or whatever. It's just kind of amazing how interlinked everybody is. Well, you're, you're sure studying that. This is fascinating. There is about 2 million farms in the United States averaging 444 acres. Yeah. Interesting. Now what, produce now what they can produce on an acre of onions or tomatoes things like that i mean these guys are making these guys are you know pulling off 30 grand per acre and they're farming 10 acres 20 Mm -hmm. acres you know that might be gross margin but uh here we're farming you know a couple of thousand acres and pulling off you know 100 200 300 400 dollars an acre um anyway so, mm-hmm. and I loved Brad's point a couple podcasts ago on the, the return on investment portion. You can raise the biggest yield on planet earth, but if it costs you every bushel of that yield to make it, you have nothing to work with. Right. You have a bragging right, but you spent your life savings to get there. Well, a lot of people are starting to grasp that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. They're, they're with that. starting to get that. that yeah. Well, I think that I think the record high input costs has kind of shook everyone's tree a little bit. You know, of oh crap. You know, I spent two hundred dollars an acre on nitrogen this year. That's double my cash rent. Mm-hmm. Or you know, maybe <laughs> you don't not want to say that. Guys. <laughs> I was going to say. You know, my, I've seen some, some incredibly high. I had rates. someone call me today, a real estate agent, asking me what cash rent was. Uh, for various ground in our areas or in our area. Um, I mean, it's, you know, anyway, it rates anywhere from 45 an acre to a hundred some, you know, over a hundred dollars an acre. And it's just, but you get into other areas and a couple hundred bucks is nothing to shake. You know, I talked to one guy, he's got a farm that he thinks is probably going to, it's, I think it's coming up for rent. Anyway, they're putting it on auction or something. Might bring five hundred an acre. Mm. So some people listen to this podcast like, yeah, and mm-hmm. no, but for us where it doesn't rain, no, you could put up five hundred acre, you'd never get a phone call. So. Well, there's a lot said to the uh, what's it worth is what two people decide, and oh. that's essentially what it's worth. 
Exactly right. What's what's market value? Well, two people decide. And then everyone says it's insane. It's not worth that. Well, I'm sorry. You were one person that that somebody gave it. Yeah, you were the one of the people that didn't give it value. Yeah, yeah. Because well, you know. And then what can you do with that ground? Right. Because some guy might be able to produce two hundred dollars an acre profit. I but if do, you're a better farmer and you can produce $300 right. an acre, $400 an acre, that ground is immediately worth more. Yeah. So, you know, don't, don't. Yeah, if you're really efficient, you can splurge more on cash rent or whatever, because you can do more with less. Or you can, you know, there's to be said about, you know, crop shares and just generating more revenue for the landowner or whatever and yourself. Yeah. So having that capability. I've picked up a lot of ground recently that has that reason behind it, that I can generate that landowner a lot of revenue because I just don't dump a lot of money out and in return a lot just because I manage water really, really aggressively. And then, you know, nitrogen's another one that I do excessively aggressively. Populations, a lot of things. I, I try to build a pretty good size system. Yeah, and look at we a lot still of have components. guys that are just crapping a cinder block over our population, our plant population podcast. Oh, dude! As Dylan says, a, a dog, a dog crapping a peach seed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, populations. I I love that topic. It's definitely one that I have seen time and time again that continues to prove that we're overdoing virtually everything. I'm going to have a couple of cool corn population tests this year and we're just going to see. Yeah. We're going to see. I got a, got a different planter this year. It's a split seed box, 16 row planter, and I've got an eight row corn head so I can run um, different, I can run different rates on either half planter. Right. So, you know, I can run same hybrid, 21,000, 22,000, 27,000, 18,000. I asked a friend of mine, um, Eric, and he was, I asked him, he farms in northern, Can- north central Kansas. And it's hilly ground, man. It's hilly ground. And I asked him, I said, what, what's the best corn you've raised at your average planting population? And I believe he told me it was 18,000 population on corn. No, this was no-till. Uh, I believe it was no-till. Yes, it was no-till. It's 100% no-till. And... I believe it was 21. I think it was. Don't quote me on what year it was. It was within the last couple of years, though. Anyway, 170, 180 bush of corn on 18,000. Mm-hmm. And that really, really rocked me because I'm like, man, because I get more rain than he does. And I don't say that braggingly. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last podcast, we talked about too much rain. I have, I, I battle and I have in the past too much rain. I go anaerobic and my crops start to fail because we get too much water. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, how can we, you know, cause you know, seed went up what, 10, 15, 20% this year, 15, I think it was 12, I think 12 to 15% is what seed increase was on corn. $300 a bag for corn seed is just average talk now. Right. So if you can cut your population back and maintain yield, that's, that's profit increased. Mm-hmm. So well, I know we've talked about this once, but I don't know how long ago it was. But in western Kansas, we get not jack squat compared to rain. What are you at for rainfall average? Uh, 30, lower 30s. I lower think. 30s. So we typically, 
upper teens, some lower 20s. Lower 20s is a year we're getting a fair amount of rain. If we can get in the lower 20s, we're going to get 160, 170 bushel dryland corn, and we're going to do that with 15 to 18,000 tops. And then you move east to you guys, and we're seeing, you know, you're putting 25, 27, 28,000. Were you doing 30 ever? You never crossed that line. I, I made a few passes of 30. Okay, so mid, mid to upper never 20s. Never saw anything from it. Right. And it still blows my freaking mind how many guys out there are shooting for 170 bushel corn, planting 32, 34,000. That's insane. So we come to your area and we're doing that, and you're still raising 120 to 175 bushel corn. Well, that's what we're doing in the West with half the rain sometimes. Yeah. Then you go on to Illinois, Indiana. Now, given there are guys out there that are getting 230 to 300 bushel corn, but there still is a pile of people that are still sub 175. Yeah. 32, 34,000. Like, WTF, we know that Way it will farm. do it. <laughs> That's right. Way to farm. Right. We know that it will do it. And it's something I know I've heard Randy talk about. I, I know it's definitely guys that preach 10 bushel per thousand until you're there, don't go up. I tend to be a little bit lower in that because we got to factor in some of the other variables. But um, it's definitely something that we're seeing in corn that you pull it back, it will it will compensate and you know flexing hybrids not flexing hybrids i've had a talk with a guy about this flex everybody thinks of ear flex like it's going to get longer you're going to get a bigger girth you know as far as rows around and stuff like that but kernel depth makes almost 30 percent of your yield so just because it isn't more long or more round how guys much deeper are that, kernels? That that ear of corn sticking out past the husk and they're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, boy, look at that flex. Yeah. yeah. So I'm finding more than new hybrids <clears throat> tend to flex in the kernel a lot more than they do ears. Dude. Length and girth. Talk about, um, Oh my Lord. Ah, uh, test weight. Your test, oh, okay. your test weight rant. Holy crap. Guys, okay. Make sure you're sitting down. So let's test weight, Josh. What what's everybody think? Six pound corn and sixty pound corn. Holy crap, that's some heavy corn. Woohoo. A a tester in the elevator. That test weight Make, doesn't this is first grade level, Ben. Make this first grade level. Because the I, first I'm... time you told me, I was like, WTF, way to right. farm. And <laughs> <laughs> I was I was literally like, what did you just say? I totally just had a golden ember moment with Austin Powers when he said that. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Test uh, weight. Okay. You go to the elevator. Most people think that's test weight. That is not test weight. That is a machine that measures how much corn is packed into that cup on what that's going to average. If there's a cob in there, that throws it off. If the thing doesn't sweep enough off or sweeps too much off, that throws it off. That has nothing to do with actual test weight. That is just how much volume you are bringing inside a volume bushel. Okay. So this cup, you got a couple cobs in there. You're going to have a 56. If you have no cobs in there and a bunch of small kernels, you're going to have a higher test weight because more volume fits. There's less pore space. It makes it heavier. Humor me. If you got a handheld tester, you have to sweep that thing off. 
Have you ever played with one? Oh, yeah. Okay, you sweep it off, right? Yep. Take a test and measure it. You tell me what the test weight is. Take three or four kernels, throw it back on there, test it again. Tell me what the test weight difference is. It's drastic. Mm. It has nothing to do with how dense that kernel is. It's how much fits in that cup. Period. Weight. Nothing else. Throw some dirt in there, be way higher. So you're saying, yeah, yeah, fill so, full of water. And someone, someone please fill their tester full of water <laughs> and send us a picture of what it says. It might screw it up. That's <laughs> why I said someone do. send us a picture. <laughs> you got an old tester laying around. Oh, man. Um, so test weight. Yes. You can make kernels more dense. You can pack out a dent. You can actually make the dents nearly push out. I've seen it. I know it will do it. Genetics tend to matter a little bit in this, but it can happen. Everyone talks about uh, what stage are we at? You know, black layer, we're denting, you know, on corn. I'm talking about obviously corn here. Yes. But we're at dent. Well, the less dent you have, the denser kernel yeah, you, have you have. a divot in the kernel. You have a, a, a airspace. Yeah. You can push that out. It can be done. Someone comes along and chainsaws your butt, your, one of your butt cheeks off. You're going to weigh less. <laughs> I have no idea where you're getting that one from, and <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, you take something away from something. You pour, they take a bottle of water, and you pour half of it out. It's going to weigh less, even though the size of the bottle is still uh -huh. the same. Right. <laughs> I guess that's more moisture uh, than anything. Right. So, test weight. To me, in the elevator, if you call me and you say you got a 56 or you got a 62, that doesn't mean jack crap to me. Now, beans, the bigger the bean, the worse the test weight. So if you build big, nice, plump beans and then pods, your test weight will be crap in the elevator. Hmm. Because you have a ball and not teeth, essentially like kernels, and spheres leave big spaces. So the bigger the sphere, the bigger the space, the lower the test weight because you're not packing as many soybeans into that cup we need to do a timer test bunch of square cubes in a vial or in a glass jar pour water in it see how long it takes at a certain a certain amount of water to flow through it and then do marbles so a round object pour water in the top see how long it takes to, to, to get to the measure bottom. how much space there is to move yeah how long it takes for movement to go you through know, that'd be could... a good a good water and soil analogy as well mm -hmm. Because yeah. you're talking about building soil structure. Mm -hmm. So so we see a lot of dryland guys, you know, 60 bushel beans, or 60 pound beans, right? Mm -hmm. That's a bushel, right? Yes. You get out west in the irrigation world, there's no such thing as 60 bushel, or 60 pound beans. I've never had 60 pound beans, ever, in my entire 59. life. I can't hit it, because the beans get too big. Okay. If I cut 100-plus bushel beans, they're not 60-pound beans. They're 55, 56-pound. Yeah, 60 pounds a bushel. Yeah, so you got this big old bean. You can't. You got a big gap, and it doesn't fill the cup. So you see the difference in, in the test weight in the elevator and the test weight in the field. So all I care about, kernel depth, can you push the dent out, how dense does it get, how big the soybean gets in the pod. That's where test weights come in, not the elevator test weight. And so there are some genetics, particularly in the lower maturity range, that tend to be a little more fluffy, and they don't get near as dense. But that's definitely something people are aware of.
but that's where test weight matters. That's the test weight they're talking about when they bring you a, a sales sheet. And this is high test weight. Take it to the elevator. Well, now that's 56 pound, not 60. That's not test weight. Everything's measured off 56 or 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's density of pack. Can you push the kernel out? Beans, it's how big the bean is. going to make a difference in the elevator. But I don't care about that. All I care about is how many pounds are in that truck. Period. Right. That's why, that's why they, t- they weigh you, they weigh the truck, they mark on the ticket whether you're on or off the scale when they weigh that right. truck. Right. Yeah. But the, um, the only reason, or the only way test weight matters in the elevator is if you're getting docked. Other than that, I don't give a rip. I don't care what that sheet says because it's corn. irrelevant. Heavy corn. I've heard that a lot. Heavy, Heavy corn. density corn with less space, so less dense, is going to have a lot heavier pack now you will see a tick up when you push dense out and corn of the tester actually getting higher mm-hmm. so i've i've picked some 63 64 pound yeah at the elevator. We've, we've done 61 but that yep. that was uh 21 yeah best corn but the, the idea is that correlation is not def- that's not definitive just because it says 60 in the elevator doesn't make it heavier per se per right bushel. they're still dividing it by 56 right but total. it's all about the density on a kernel how many bushels are on that or density on that cob Mm -hmm. so how many pounds you're going to get off an ear yeah so go for kernel depth kernel the cob the the cob itself makes you no money yeah so humor me in in kernel depth on corn roughly 30 percent give take okay what's the general rule use Ninety thousand. Yeah, I'll so you divide this. So out. you do so uh, population. Population see. times well, take kernel around times kernel length times population in the field. Divide. Not necessarily population. Ears is what they say. It's obviously that. So population, and then divide it by eighty or ninety thousand, so depending on where you're at. Right. So let's say I planted. Uh, let's say I planted the cabin at twenty six thousand. Let's, let's say we got sixteen round by 36 long times i plan it by say say 26,000 population do so 32 times, do 32 cuz that's what a lot of people plan okay times 32,000 is 18,432 you took it times 32,000 yep you don't with 32,000 multiply it by 32 by the first two numbers of your okay then you're going to have to divide it by 90 yeah right. and then divide that by 90 it's 204 bushel corn. Right. That's 90,000. So that's uh, Side, use how many kernels it takes to make a bushel 56 pounds. Yes. Pounds. Like a pound not, of corn. Not yeah. a bushel basket, right. 56 pounds. A of pound corn. of corn. Now, if we do uh, 16 times 36 times 26,000, I did that wrong. 32. 16 times 36,000. Yeah, 36. 32. I did 32. That's what okay. it was, 204. Okay. Um, times uh, planting pop, say 26,000. No, 32. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're doing, I got to do it by the same thing. Yeah. I'm write this down. Uh, you got to forgive Josh. He's already had like 25 energy drinks today. And- yeah. 26, 16, 16 round by 36 long. Times 32,000 32, divided equals, by 90,000. Yes. And I got you 217? No, it was 204. Oh, okay. 16 
times 36 times 32 equals that. 18,000 divided by 90 is 204.8. Okay, now if we plant, if we, so, same ear. Same ear. Same now, if ear. you focus on late season health, take care of your plant late. If you get the rainfall or you're an irrigator and you manage your water correctly at the end, when you you're get, when you're actually growing the profitable part of the plant, right? The God forbid portion. The time most people forget about the crop. Yeah. Oh, so much is early. You got to yeah, set a lot of curls. Well, it's too late now. Just do what it does. <laughs> now there is something to be said to that. Now you can't necessarily get things in that late. You already messed the ball. You're not going to get it in. That's why we got to be so attentive in season. Right. During but, the key growth stages. Right. Yes. But there is some things that can be done late season to increase this. And especially if you're an irrigator. And so if you do that, and we do a lot by, I figure between 75, 76,000, sometimes I get in the upper 60s. That's 30% right there. Yeah. So what would you come up with? Okay. So now that was divided by 90. Okay. Divided by 90. Um, is 204.8. Mm -hmm. If we ha divide by 80, which is denser corn, right? A larger we have a kernel, higher actual test weight. Same number of kernels. Deeper, just, just yeah. Fill. Right. Divided by 80, which is easily attainable. Right. Easily. That bumps your yield to 230.4. Mm -hmm. Dividing the same There's 16 20. by 30. Uh, 32,000, 25 bushel, 26. Yep. Well, that cost you nothing other than better in management, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, that's, not, you're not going to put one product on and gain 30 bushel. No. So more just, timing is, is everything. Yeah. You know, being more, yeah. Timing is key. Yeah. In everything. Yeah. You can, you can increase yield and, and profitability Typically by not buying anything different or more products, but just being more efficient at when you apply them. Not all right. your nitrogen up front, not fall a bunch of fall nitrogen application, and then you get a bunch of rain and don't get your ground froze and you lose half of it by spring. So timing, yeah, timing's everything. Because if, if you jump out before the car goes by, you're going to get run over. <laughs> If you wait till after it goes by, then you're good to go. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. That works for me. Yeah. Now, we divide by 70, which raised mm -hmm. a lot of 70. So I've done a lot of 70s, but I'm an irrigator. Right. And I can influence that late. I had 70 and 21 on that great corn year. Mm -hmm. um, your yield goes to 263.3. Yeah. Same population. That's 60 bushel. 60 bushel difference, almost, yeah, it's 60 bushel difference off of the same kernels around and kernels long and the same population. None of those changed. Yep. We're this is focused on grain depth. fill. Yes. This is no more than a Quality more intense grain fill. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of people put that out and see those ears and not be happy with it and start pulling back. You can make a big difference by just giving a crap after the ear fills. But, the, you know, those factors have already been set a long time ago. Yeah. I would say, and you can just, I mean, call me out if I'm wrong, but they're focusing on your nutrition at planting. You're a great start. Uh, number one is front load nitrogen. Be careful. 
That's where people get you their will, butt kicked in. Yep, that'll be your first mistake. Yes. Is too much in up front. And too much in too early. I've now, heard this quite a bit in the last month. Guys are like, well, I don't want to pay for another application across the field. Okay, well, if you look at the amount of nitrogen you can cut and still maintain the same number of bushels. Yeah, if you want to drop a bu- below a bushel a pound, first step is a spoon. Well, you're going to hear spoon feeding every day. Yeah. But essentially what you're doing is give it a couple shots throughout the year, more away from the V4, V5 stage, you know, behind that, and you're going to get a better bang. And the reduced nitrogen will more than cover the extra application cost time and time. I mean, multiple times over. Right. So here's an interesting thing. Insurance companies, crop insurance companies in a lot of regions are now reducing premium by, I think it's a couple of dollars an acre. If you split apply your nitrogen on your corn. Right. Because they know what is most, most risk averse. They know what's going to protect the insurance company the most, what's going to guarantee the farmer the highest yield so that they don't have to pay a claim. And that is split application raises higher yield. That, and then they also are playing the green game too. They're also playing some of these federal programs, which they also do, uh, what is it, $5 an acre credit? For cover crops. For cover crops on your insurance premium. Yeah. And so that's another thing too, but that's, that's part of the green system. But I, I do believe that there's some of that to help intensify farmers returns and keep them in business too. If you go broke, they don't make money on you. So they want to keep you in at least somewhat. Well, you can't milk a dead cow. Don't even. <laughs> so, so I've uh, actually I've actually done that. We had a cow die and calf was alive and I'm like, crap. I didn't you know, I was like instead of going and because I mean this calf was it was needing something quick, so we actually did that milk dead cow. Recently dead. Yeah, yeah, very recently. Like five minutes. You can you can milk a bankrupt farmer for a little bit until all of it runs out. Yeah. So So anyway, uh so nitrogen up front. That's a major thing you can do to help end results. I'm excited by how many guys have told me they plan to cut their nitrogen up front. So like I can I can think of gosh. There's multiple guys that since listening to this podcast, and this is one of the things I've been most excited about because of this podcast, is because guys are learning more efficient ways to produce a equal or better crop. And guys were putting on all their in with a big you know, pull behind cart behind the planter and putting it two by two or dribbled off the side or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, man, I was going to put 120, 140, 160 units in or 32 on with the planter and be good to go. Mm-hmm. Well, they're like, man, I think we're going to cut back to 60, 70, 80 units with the planter and two by two and put some on later. It's a good right. idea. You do this with wheat too. Yeah, wheat and works good. Definitely do it with wheat. Yeah. Push it back. Push your end back. You want to grow straw or you want to grow, you know, so many times we hear there's, you know, this is 80 bushel straw and 40 bushel wheat. Yeah. On my operation and what we're getting to now is 
that's a thing of the past. I don't grow 100 bushel straw and 50 bushel wheat. I grow you grow 100, 100 bushel, bushel wheat and 50 and 30 bushel, bushel, 30 bushel, straw. bushel straw. Yeah, yeah. The guys that want to come up and bail the, the stover up, they don't like you very much. No, they don't. It's not much it's, there's nothing left. That's right. So I don't need to run a chopper. It's just little confetti flying out anyway. So. Yeah, burns more diesel fuel. Yeah, yeah. So so nitrogen first. That's a major component that you're going to mess up with in first that most people do. And that's going to make a big difference in late season because late season firing, the higher your nitrogen load is up front, the faster you'll fire at the end. Yeah. Every time I'm seeing this a lot. Talk about a little bit about the salt and firing and water. Um, okay. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. So then the next thing everybody. And the way roots, roots interact with sodium to draw right so the second thing a guy's going to run into is water too fast mm. that'll be the second thing that's going to kill your late season health because once you start irrigating you're going to create an anaerobic environment you start knocking out you know a, a more balanced system within biology things like that and you're going to cut off your deeper root profile and so when particularly guys who are going to run out of water, if you're irrigator and you're going to get cut off late season because of ditch water or whatever's going on, if you irrigate too fast, it will cut it off and you will chop off your lower profile and you'll burn up first. That'll be the guy that burn up first. So for example, we're seeing it already. I have just started pivots on wheat first time since like October. I have neighbors who have been turning laps constantly. And uh, one in particular had had his running, I don't know, he's probably over a foot of water on that weed already. Not this year, but this crop season. And so that wheat with a foot of water on it, it's probably got, since November, eight inches. Probably four inches a month of irrigation. Wow. Already, mine looks phenomenal. I need to give it a little water because I'm watering in, and, and it is getting a little on the dry end. His is already blue. It's turning patchy brown, and he's got way more water than me. It's because his root profile is shallow. He's dealing probably less than six inches because he's made it so anaerobic it won't root. Yeah. It can't root into water. It won't do it. It just burns it off, kills it. So... That's a big factor too. So those two are, I'm just going to leave it at that, but those two are major ones right there that can make a huge difference in your operation. I don't care. You don't have to buy nothing else. I mean, you're not buying anything. This is management changes. We don't sell nitrogen. Right. Um, we're not irrigation We don't equipment. sell water. Yeah, we're not in irrigation. We don't have natural gas. We don't do diesel, you know, all these things. So I have nothing to gain from this advice other than I think it'll help you. Early nitrogen, watch it. It will kill you. And the other is early heavy loads of water. Soil. Yep. Yeah. Literally. Nitrogen really blows out organic matter and blows out biology and everything else. I saw a deal yesterday um, where they're doing some studies and they think a lot of striped leaf rust is due to excess nitrogen. Yeah. Because it kills everything. You can't come, if you come to me and you tell me that anhydrous is killing your soil, but then you're front loading 300 units of dry or liquid then get out the door because I ain't got nothing to talk to you about. Yeah. Because you're doing the same thing. It's just not in an ammonia form. Right. And so, yeah, anhydrous is bad compared to liquid, but liquid and dry can do the same damage if uploaded too fast, too soon. Not completely even, but it still will do it. 
So nitrogen is a very, very finicky deal. And I can go on for days about this, but wheat, yeah, wheat is bad about it. And corn is a very close second. What about Milo? Milo. Milo is a very weird crop. It is such a, it's going to be more on the irrigation side. 100% with Milo. Sawyer was thinking about planting an 80 of double crop Milo. The wetter it is in excess, the more it jacks Milo up. So okay, look up so the I records. I need Sawyer to plant an 80 of double crop Milo so we get good rain in August this year. If it rains late, Milo does well. Okay. So if you look up the world records in Milo, they're grown in western Kansas, Texas, Panhandle, Oklahoma because it's dry. Yeah. You, they grow Milo in Tennessee and Kentucky and stuff. I've seen it. It's out there. But they don't grow any But it's records. terrible looking Milo. Yeah. It's too wet. Milo is definitely not an anaerobic plant. It can't take it at all. Mm. Anaerobic, just for reminders, too much water. Mm -hmm. yep. So anyway, what, what was the other thing? Nitrogen, salt, and roots. So nitrogen's full of salt. That's how we're carrying it, everything else. Um, you shoot it on top of the soil with an anhydrous or liquid or whatever, what's the color it turn? White. So salt, right? So roots need salt. A plant needs sodium chloride because it draws water with that. There's other components to it, but essentially it's using it. Now, when you run into trouble is when the soil around the root becomes saltier than the root itself. And then it will actually pull water the other way. Guys, pay attention here. This is something that I... So... It's, this was fascinating stuff to me. This is one of the early things you taught me. Right. Just blew my mind. So, so salt... Did you ever do the chicken leg experiment in high or grade school? What? Mummifying a chicken leg. Did you ever do that? No. We did this experiment in grade school. They bring you a chicken leg. You guys do things different out there. Well, this is some of the best things ever. See, I'm teaching That's you right, right. now. You guys, I the, learned this crap so, when I was in really like third grade. There's people out in the desert because <laughs> they don't have time to do anything but think. There's nothing else to do out there, so this <laughs> so is the crap think. we do. <laughs> they mummify chicken legs. <laughs> That's weird. You take a chicken leg, you put it in salt. You let it sit for a day or whatever, and then you change this, the salt. Is this just like a full with the skin the on The whole it? leg, yep. Okay, just and like you, chicken drum from Walmart. Yep, yep. Okay. You will mummify that leg. That salt will draw all the moisture out. Yeah, well, if you want to, if you're, if you're like uh, curing a turkey fan or mm -hmm. uh, a deer, the, mm -hmm. the skull cap on a deer, you just put salt on it. Right, yeah. salt draws moisture. Sure. And so that's how the Egyptians mummified people is using salt. And so that's how we do it. You know, essentially today when you have root, root burn is mummification of a root. Basically the best way to describe it. You've got so much salt around a root that it drawed it out and killed the root. Mm. That's root burn. Not, mm. not that nitrogen and whatever else you want to say. There's too much anhydrous or whatever. Root burn is salt burn. It is the mummification of that rut. That's, That's why what... we don't put 28 or 32 in the strip. Yes. It's, sorry, excuse me. No, in furrow. Same. On the seed. You can do it. In, you can burn it with a strip tiller if you ain't got enough rain and you go too high. Sure. It'll burn it too. Yeah. So, but salt, you've got to have salt. Because salt draws water, a root becomes slightly salty, and that's how it draws in water. But when you have issues is when the soil around becomes equal or saltier, then the water, initially what happens, it has to work harder. 
until the point where it's so salty that it actually does the opposite and burns all the roots off, just dehydrates it out and kills the plant. That's what happens. So in the panhandle of Texas, we see this where, well, I see it in central, south central Kansas as well, where they have high salts, where they're irrigating. If it does not rain, I don't care if they're pumping 800 or 1,000 gallons a minute on those pivots, it still burns up mm. because it's the salt they're putting on. So salt just blows out everything. Yeah, that's why our goal with any of the products we source is the lowest salt possible. Lowest salt, but humix and everything else buff salt. Humic does buff salt. That's why we're putting liquid humic with 28 or 32 mm-hmm. is to help that salt deal. Yes, so it pulls salt away. It, it, it'll capture... You know, catalyte keep you know stabilize nitrogen to put it as as easy to understand as possible yep make it make make the nitrogen as safe for the plant as we can Mm -hmm. yeah right so yeah there you go there's your your simple salt without getting too into it and test weight and test weight salt and test weight your title of this podcast Mm mm-hmm Oh, what a deal. Awesome. You going to start running gas on wheat? On wheat? Yeah. No. No, that's right. You streamed it on. We did liquid. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to start probably applying this next week. Corn and Milo? For corn. You going to wait for Milo? I don't know. Are you going to do any Milo? If it don't rain, I ain't going to do anything for Milo because it's no reason to. It's just going to burn up anyway. Insurance doesn't pay you based on how much nitrogen you put on. We need to do a podcast on the insurance. <laughs> oh, blow their mind! I don't know if I want to. Talk you don't. About you it. probably don't want to. Know. <laughs> yeah, we don't want the wrong people listening. Uh huh. That's right. Otherwise, we'll change all the rules and hit hit me up. Hit Josh up. Yeah, we'll talk to you right. about email. Insurance. Ben his in the in the uh, description of the podcast. His email is there if you want some tips on insurance. Yeah. Yeah, it's you can make money on that deal if you know how to we work. Might cover it. that at our summer conference. There you go. Field seminar. What yeah. are some things? That's 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 going to be some really cool things. We're going to cover stuff that's going to make you a more profitable operator that we literally have no ties to whatsoever. How to? And operate. I'm not I'm not doing no stand in front of a bunch of people sitting in a seat. We're going to drink beer standing in a field. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe Justin will come. We're going to shoot the bull. That's right. So. Dude, I saw, I got a friend today. He's the, uh, I met a guy. Uh, he's already a friend of mine. He is the first person to jet ski from Alaska to Russia and back. Jet ski. Anyway, he came back and he celebrated by blowing up a fish, a giant fish head with Tannerite on an iceberg. Hmm. So he just bought a yacht that you can rent there uh, on the, the, not the Aleutian chain, be Southeast Alaska, the other part of Alaska. I've been to Alaska a couple of times. Um, anyway, got the icebergs and stuff. So as soon as he, as soon as he told me he bought a yacht to do that with, I was like, we're going to, we're going to go up there. We're going to get a group of farmers, <laughs> same, probably same group of farmers that we're going to get to ride an irrigation pivot <laughs> out at Ben's place. We're going to load them on a yacht in Alaska and blow up an iceberg. Yep. So that would be fun. Yeah. Revenge is Titanic. <laughs> Never mind. That's the topic of the pod. That's the <laughs> podcast title. Titanic Revenge of the Titanic. <laughs> uh, Perfect. Okay. So hit us up. 
Facebook, Instagram, inst- uh, react with us on there. That's yeah. definitely a way I can react or interact. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> uh, Singular's got Instagram now. The website the website will be up by the time this is out. Should be close. Yeah, yeah. We're packing that with as much information as we can. I didn't realize it was so intense, so labor intensive putting a website, a good one, together. Um, anyway, our team's working on that. Uh, yeah, share the email. podcast if you want. Email us. That's our emails linked here in the in the the information page, information side of the podcast page. Uh, yeah, social media is Ben's on Facebook. I'm on Facebook, but most everything of mine I do on Instagram. So just look for the dude holding the massive tillage radish. That, that's that's really that's me. That's Josh Pretzer. That's Singular Agronomics, and that's just what we're gonna be known. <laughs> Take it how you will. Guys, appreciate uh, all of you. The interaction the growers we've got to work with so far, um, it's, it's gets us, this gets us, it gets me fired up. It gets me absolutely fired up for this growing season. And uh, so, yeah. Ben, anything else? I'm just stuck on the massive tillage. <laughs> all right. Oh, See you guys next time. Catch everybody later.